Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Kara. Marler, you know, it's a good thing that we don't have any news to talk about today and we can just focus on the national championship. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is, yeah. There are a few times that I've ever been in my car and there has been news that is broken from the SEC and the news has yelled, made me yell, yes, yes, F yes, and it has nothing to do with Alabama or Nick Saban. I am so fired up. Mike Leach is coming to the SEC, Mississippi State more specifically. We, of course, are going to talk about that because that happened about, oh, I'd say like two hours before we came on to record. I had to crank out a column. We had to do some last-minute things to be able to get ready for this. We have, of course, the big news out of Athens. Not just the guy who is suing Georgia, uh, the former five-star offensive lineman, Cade Mays, who is, uh, his, his family is suing Georgia because of the whole incident with his dad's finger and all that, and he's transferring to Tennessee, which is like the fourth most interesting thing that we're going to talk about today. Um, so in addition to that, the whole like Jake Fromm going to the NFL thing, which I thought was going to be our big news today, but it turns right. out that that's not the case. Honestly, um, I thought me having to change my way too premature national championship pick for 2020 was going to yeah. have to be the, the the main topic of conversation. Yep. We're going to bury uh, that lead. That Yeah, and it, you know, I, that is something that will be announced, but man, oh man. Yeah, and then, oh, by the way, uh, we have the national championship to talk about. Um, just throwing it out there, like one Not of the best matchups. <laughs> one of the best <laughs> matchups that we've had in a national championship in some time. I think that can be, that can definitely be said. So we have so Connor, much to get real to. Real quick on this. I have nine pages of written notes in Holy my notebook, and Why? you know, and the good news for you and everyone else, we won't be able to get to all of them. We'll oh darn! Like seven pages, so it's oh, like you know. Gosh, I'm gonna cut you off at like one. Um, it is that kind of day. We don't have an interview today. We we're supposed to actually have an interview. Uh, we were supposed to talk to Hester, but his schedule got really, really crazy, understandably so. He's got a billion obligations this week. So unfortunately, we weren't able to set that up, but it kind of worked out because we have so much to talk about today. Um, so let's just get right into it. Let's start with Mike Leach because, holy crap, it finally happened. And I say that because it really felt like Mike Leach coming to the SEC was just this thing that we were sort of building up and we're going to build it up every offseason and it was going to be kind of that that fun what if and yeah. it was never really going to happen and Mike Leach had had signed an extension at Washington State this past December and that was after of course he had been rumored to uh, be linked to the Ole Miss job and he apparently was talking with talking with Arkansas and of course everybody remembers a couple years ago when he had to sit down with John Curry and then John Curry was summoned back to Tennessee so that he could be fired he didn't have a job to offer to begin with so right <laughs> Mike Leach is finally coming to the SEC and I am I am I'm stunned because this is something that obviously, like we in the media, we've talked about for a while because he's super entertaining, right? Like that's what has almost scared fans off in a way, in that they feel like media is hyping up Mike Leach because he's just this entertaining personality. I want to get out in front of this real quick here, and I'll, I'll let you go off on this. So, like anybody who's just thinking that Mike Leach is some guy who likes pirates and just is an entertaining press conference, no, that that's not why he is where he is today. And you know, obviously. He is somebody who offensively is 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 I, I ranked him as the top offensive mind in college football after the 2017 season. Like this is a guy who's had 12 seasons of eight plus wins in the 21st century at Texas Tech and Washington State. Um, eighth consecutive year he just had with a top 10 passing offense. He is going to give Mississippi State an identity immediately. 
and he makes it pretty entertaining. I mean, let's let's be honest. That's that's a big part of this as well. I thought at some point during all your talks there, you were going to say you were wrong. No, see, I'm, do you want me to get to this now, or do you want me to get I to do. it later? I do. Okay. I like a so thousand percent this. want you to re- re- respond to the Cohen thing. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make this comparison. I, I give John Cohen credit for this move because I said it was kind of like a hail mary, given the week that he has had. Where you know we have we have heard Todd Grantham, we have heard Steve Sarkeesian, our guy Gene Chizik interviewed for this job and was was basically like he basically like told them the next day like, hey, look, I'm I'm actually not. I'm the, a few things that I didn't really like about about the way that the interview went. I'm not interested in this job. People are going to say, oh, that actually didn't happen and that, that was just fed to you by something. No, it wasn't. That actually happened. Believe me when I tell you that. So he goes, John Cohen goes down to Key West and gets Mike Leach and does something that these other athletic directors in the SEC have not been able to do for one reason or another. And he makes this move at such an atypical time in the coaching carousel. And I compare this. Here's a comparison that you're going to love. It's like second and 26 in a way. Here's why. Here's why. (laughs) Everybody forgets with second and 26 that the first play of overtime for Alabama, Tua takes this sack that is just inexplicable. It is a horrible sack. Devin Bellamy, you know, is, is able to have this sack that Georgia fans would probably be talking about forever had it not been for the play that followed right after that. Everybody forgets what set up second and 26. I can think two separate things. I can think that I was frustrated and and really just bothered by the way John Cohen went about the Joe Moorhead firing. And I can also think that Mike Leach was a great hire given the circumstances, given the position that he was in yeah. where the hay's in the barn. He's already made that move. To go out and get somebody like, like Mike Leach, I tip my cap because I did not think that John Cohen was going to be able to go out and execute, much like Tua on second and 26, stepped up after a disastrous play, There's stepped so... up and made an all-time great play. There's... So I give John Cohen credit. So many ways that I've seen you dance around saying you were wrong, and that one was the best. I'm not, but like, it's here's the thing: it's not like I, I realize that my my opinion on this differs than than a lot of people. I am admitting Leach is a great hire, but it's not like Leach was just sitting there in the holster and he was automatically like, oh, like Leach is just going to be hired the next day. I mean, no, he, I know, he but it's also it's and, also the way it was. We went about it was like. Man, Cohen is making a rash move. Doesn't know what he's doing, and all the while, Cohen knew what he was doing. Like, like Cohen got Leach. He, he, like he this, did get Leach, and he got I, I don't know if that was the, the primary a, plan. He got a significant upgrade uh, for offensive minds, and he got a significant upgrade for head coaches. He has and a better offensive mind for sure. For sure. It, this is so. This is crazy for no reason because I was literally in the car texting you today as I was driving back from that TV thing. And it was like a forty-five minute drive, and I was like. Like I was like, stop the red light, and I, I started because I you've heard the rumors and people have been talking about it. And I was like, I was on this morning with with PB and CD on, on the on radio, or whatever, and I was they were like, who do you think should go to Starkville? Like uh, Grantham? Do you think it should be Leach? And do you think or should be like Sarkeesian? And I was like, man, I don't know if Grantham's gonna be a head coach. And I, and I kept saying Leach because I was like, they need something different. They gotta yep. have something different at that school to differentiate yourself. And you know, a lot of times when people say that, especially. Not especially, but sometimes in Power 5 schools, you saw it with um, Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech. You've seen it at a, a couple other places where that something different resorts to being like the triple option or some gimmicky offense. You're like, this sucks, man. Like you, you're putting a ceiling over your, you know, over your program and, and at least they're entertaining and they're, they're a lot of times going to be like, like relevant, but this, this would be. They need something because in Mississippi State, this is not in, like indicative of their past. It's just indicative of the state of the SEC West right now, which has somehow gotten even tougher. Like 
just with these coaches, it's gotten even more stacked. And to go out and get somebody like Mike Leach, and I brought this morning, I was like, because the joke was like, man, who's going to want to live in Starkville? And like, and, uh, and, What's his name? Um, Marcus Spears was on after me. <laughs> he was like, he's like, man, Mike Leach don't want to live in Starkville. I was like, man, Mike Leach, Mike Leach lived in Lubbock and Pullman. <laughs> like, if you yeah, have like to, he's, he's got his house in Key West. He's fine. Yeah, like he, if you don't he can, know, he'd have a, a few months out there, and it'll right. be all good. Yeah, yeah. Like so, Allie's mom went to Washington State. Pullman is like, there's nothing there. That stadium is thirty three thousand people. This is a perfect setup for Mike Leach, I think. But when I was going to text you, on, like when I got in the car, I was like. Man, how bad does Mike Leach want to flirt with coming to the SEC? Because it seems like every year this is the yeah. story, and it's a non-story. And by the time I was like, you know what, Chris, don't text and drive. Be responsible. Yeah. And by the time I almost got to the house, the news broke, and it was. It's just. I think. I think that this is such a home run hire in the sense of I don't know if he's ever going to win the SEC West or the SEC because it we we've, we've seen them win the SEC West, but it hasn't been since I think 1998. Um, they've had we've we've gone over their their entire program resume, but with Mike Leach and you talked about the consistency. We talked about this in the offseason. We were ranking our top ten coaches, and and I made a, a case for Leach as well because it was like, man, the the places he's won at. Don't just look at like he's had twelve eight win seasons in the twenty first century. That's a lot. That's a lot. But like also the places he's been at before, and this is something that I was pretty critical of with Mississippi State, and we talked about with their fan base and their expectations. You go look and see what that program was at Texas Tech before him, and that program was at Washington State before him. There wasn't a lot there, and he's been able to build it into something that's consistent and it's always relevant, and I, I think it's a good hire. Mississippi State is going to have a brand that it did not have under Joe Moorhead, and and I've said that before. Look, you know, I, I'm I'm a big Joe Moorhead supporter and all that, but they lacked a brand with him, and they 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 struggled to establish what he was hoping to in Starkville. Mike Leach is going to be able to have these dynamic passing offenses. And, and I fully believe that. And as good as this offense, it really, the offensive minds in this division are, are just loaded top to bottom. Yeah. But I still feel like on a yearly basis, Leach is going to have a chance with the way that his offense is constructed to be able to put up big numbers in the passing game. There are some risks associated with this hire. And I'm not trying to pour cold water yeah. on this because this is as good of a hire as John Cohen possibly could have asked for at this point. No doubt about it in my mind whatsoever. But there's a reason, and the worst kept secret is Mike Leach has never gotten a big time <laughs> job because he sort of refuses to play ball. I mean, that, that has been his own. In a, in a shed one time. Go, go read the book, This System. Like that that whole situation, I'm not dismissing that entirely, but yeah. there, are, there are a lot of very murky things that have been brought up in the aftermath of that in terms of like why the whole lawsuit went down to begin yeah. with and was because of playing time, all that stuff. But so Mike Leach, you know, once called his players after a loss, I think it was actually this past season, fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. Not exactly something that an athletic director Bama likes. fans, because, are you listening? An athletic director has to field calls about that, and he gets upset parents, and there, there are a lot of things that come with that. He says and does things that will rub people the wrong way. He goes to the beat of his own drum. That's That, that has just always been his MO. If he wants to go teach a class in, in the summer, he's going to go do it. If he wants to go you know, spend five minutes instead of talking about football, talking about how to plan your wedding, he's going to do it. That's the like Mike that. Leach way. He's going to help out people like you, and it's going to be great. And it might frustrate others who are going to be like, hey, why are we only running for 85 yards a game? What's wrong right now? That's the issue potentially that can surface. And if there is some sort of friction between John Cohen and Mike Leach, then obviously that's going to matter down the road. Having said all of that, if you're John Cohen, 
this is as good as you can possibly ask for. You need to be fully on board with this. And this is this is a move that is going to excite a fan base. They're going to sell a ton of tickets. The cowbells are going to be rocking. We're going to get an oral history on the cowbell in the first, like, what, two press conferences that Mike Leach has? Well, Probably. And it's one of those things, too, where it's not – It's it's. I was going to say it's not quite like Ed Orgeron where these people are, like, impervious to – critiques almost you know what i mean like they're, they're impervious to the media they're impervious to like all these like small there's like a shield of their aura that kind of blocks out a lot of the little um critiques i would think that go on with like coaching and stuff like that and people saying like why why like you said like why are we rushing for this blah blah, blah. he's able to shut that down so much because he's such a well-liked guy nationally like he's just his personality is one of those in football where we've accepted for like in the same way with lane kiffin where We've accepted the, the the good with the bad, and the good far outweighs in our in, in the majority of people's opinions far outweighs the bad. I mean, you think about some of the stuff that, about Kiffin that is is just inexcusable, and some of the things he's done, and the arrogance and bravado he's had, and people love it. And Mike Leach is the same way, and he's it's it, like he can talk down to there's a there's a coach one state over that is also pretty surly sometimes when it comes to the media, and it's not as funny. And and Leach does stuff, and he gets away with a lot of stuff because we do like his personality. So I, I think that's that in itself is going to be able to like kind of like lengthen his his leash that he's going to have on him from Cohen. And I tell you what, the biggest thing it does for a place like Mississippi State, where you have there, we talked about it on the pod like last week, and you said that they have a top twenty five recruiting class, and I brought up the point that's like tenth or eleventh in the S in the SEC. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not, and I I've, I've never heard anything about Mike Leach of the recruiter, and that's that's a lot. That's more so on my ignorance than anything of. Spent of, ten years in the state of Texas, so yeah. those connections are there. It's not like oh, he's I'm just coming in that. from. Yeah, I'm just I don't know if he's like you know the guy that gets in the the house and is able to close a deal and all. Like, I've never heard those stories about him, which is not to say that didn't happen. What I am saying is with that offense. And being in the Southeast where you have the best athletes in the country year in and year out from a high school recruiting standpoint, you instantly make yourself a, a guy that's going to make the short list at least for the top quarterbacks in the country, the top quarterbacks in the SEC from that area from a recruiting standpoint. And you are going to be able to have your system with better athletes because you're in a better conference zone. Yeah, and I think that Moorhead, Moorhead's success as a, as a perceived outsider coming in and recruiting top 25 classes is an example of, hey, look, if Leach is, is able to sit down in those living rooms, I think he'll be able to have success, and he's not necessarily going to just recruit the same exact way that he did at Washington State. He looks for a very specific set of skills when it comes to recruiting a quarterback, accuracy mm-hmm. being the number one thing for sure, and he's the same guy who said to Gardner Minshew a couple years ago, hey, don't be the third-string quarterback at Alabama. Come lead the nation in passing at Washington State. Sure right. enough, that's what he does. And, and so if, he is... Yeah. He has been able to do things like that that are going to resonate no matter where he is. And he is a national name, and he is not necessarily going to have that uphill, that, that uphill climb. Right. Having said that, it's still a different ballgame now. It is a very different ballgame than the one that he has been working with in the Pac-12. And a fan base that is ready to win, a fan base that has high expectations now, is going to demand that Leach be more than a splashy hire and more than just an entertaining team that you know is able to put up some points. But you know the reality is Leach needs to get the right defensive mind in there. That has not necessarily been his mo all the time. He has had good defensive minds that he's been able to work with at times, but that is not necessarily his cup of tea. And if you're going to be in that division with all those aforementioned great offensive minds, and by the way, Steve Sarkeesian not getting this job and staying 
staying at Alabama means one more good offensive mind is still in that division, then that means, of course, that you're going to have to really hit it, hit it out of the park when it comes to that defensive coordinator hire. Otherwise, you know what? Texas Tech put up a lot of points you know, during the 2010s after Leach left there, but they were always a mediocre team. Mississippi State needs to find that right guy to be able to lead that defense as well. But it's an exciting, fun time. What, what a time in the SEC. What an SEC media days that we're going to get. And this division now has head coaches. Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, Ed Ogeron, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Sam Pittman, Gus Malzahn. New Gus is the most boring one in this division. Always has been, always will be. Watch, I mean, the fact that... I mean, in Washington State, they they had at one point late November of last season or the season before, they had a top ten defense in the country, and Tracy Clays was their defensive coordinator yeah. last year, and then things have been things have fizzled out there. But it's been yeah. an up and down battle in terms of the it, it's, you know the cool thing is here too. Like you think about think about how many quarterbacks like think about a guy like Mac Jones, and I'm just saying him off the top of my head because. As I found out this week, he also led the nation in point, uh, yards per play. We can talk about it later. It's not a big It's part deal. of your nine-page deep stat fantastic. Dive. We have so much stuff to talk about. I'm so excited. Um, but but you think about a guy like there, there's so many four-star quarterbacks around the SEC or transfer quarterbacks in general, like stuff like that, that, that want to play in the SEC. And if you listen, if you're going to the NFL, people don't care about as much as anymore if it's like a Ty Detmer type where you're like, I put up. 4,000 yards or 5,000 yards or three for 700 yards in a game. People don't care about that. It's like, let's put on the table. Let's see what you did against Alabama, LSU, uh, Georgia, and all these all these top defenses. You get a chance if you're a quarterback in, in high school or, or, or being recruited to come to a place and throw the ball 60 times a game and to do it against the best defenses in the country. Why, like, why would you not? Like, why would you not want to do that? And you get to hang out in Starkville. I'm going to go on record and say that this, these two episodes in which we have talked about Mississippi State is the most ever in a two-episode stretch that we have talked about the Bulldogs, I think. I think that's, that's, I, that's fair to say. There's yeah. been a lot of Mississippi State talk. One name who is coming to the SEC, another name, another name who is leaving the SEC. Jake Fromm, much to your surprise, after when I brought it up the other day, you said, why are we even talking about whether or not Jake Fromm is going to go to the NFL or stay in Georgia? No, he is indeed off to the NFL. The Georgia quarterback is leaving, foregoing his senior season. Everybody knows. Well, you know what? Let's just start right there. The when this came crumbling. out, speaking of being wrong, speaking of admitted that we're wrong, what was your initial reaction when you saw that? I, 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 somebody texted me and they tell me all day. It's one of my buddies who's like a... Uh, a guy close to the Georgia football and he texts me and he's like, I'm telling you Fromm's leaving. And I was like, there's no way there's absolutely there's no way, way that somebody was like, Jake Fromm is a first round draft pick. And yeah, but you is, don't need to be a first round guy anymore. I mean, you just don't. If you're Jake Fromm, I, I don't, I just everything. Here's what it is. It has nothing to do with this. It has far less to do with his talent for me than the fact that like everything I know about Jake Fromm is this like stand up kid, this kind of, it's almost like a Dabo, small town, lovable dude that's just like, man, I don't know, like, heck, man, I, I love college, I love being, like, such a team guy, and this doesn't make him not that, obviously, but, like, just a dude that seemed like he was destined to be a four-year starter at Georgia and leave that place with every single record imaginable. and Because it was going to be the Aaron Murray 2.0. Yeah, well, but see, and, and that's not, I'm not saying that in a bad way or, like, like any anything about his talent I just always thought from the moment he stepped on campus and the moment you have guys like Eason and Fields leave, and it wasn't like he was getting like the number one overall pick type of talk, I just thought with that, the way this year went statistically for him, that this was like, yeah, it's destined. He's, he's, he's going to be coming back for year four. And when he, 
And when he announced, honestly, I thought the only reason there was like a delay was like there was gonna be something theatrical. Like there was gonna be something like you know, there's those stupid rumors about him like showing up at halftime of the basketball game in Kentucky and being like, "I'm staying." And then would have been fun. Yeah, it would have been fun. And I, I just, I, I was shocked that that happened. And now, in the last 24 hours, we've heard that the entire entire program's leaving. So it's like, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I wanna, I wanna add some perspective to all things from and as it relates to the NFL and what he was able to do at Georgia. I'm not as surprised that he is going to the NFL, and that's not because I think he's going to be a first round pick or anything like that, or because I'm. You know, thinking about the the draft talent around him, I think it's a I think it's kind of lame that that was even considered. When yeah, obviously, you know, Joe Burrow and, and Tua and Justin Herbert, like all these guys are going to the NFL, and they're going to be in all likelihood they're going to be picked ahead of Jake Fromm. And people would say, why wouldn't he want to wait? Well, you got Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields next year. This is the way this thing always works. The Justin Fields thing was I don't think it has anything to do with this decision, but I for one am glad for his sake and my sake and our sake. That I don't have to listen to that for another year and a half of like them being compared to each other in the NFL draft. Yeah, and as we talk about all the time, he would have been scrutinized to death if he had yep. come back for another year. There, there's no doubt about it. He would have all the preseason buzz, and it, it, with that offense, maybe he as we've as we've often said with James Coley, maybe he just said, if he's there, why am I going to run it back, and why am I going to risk hurting my draft stock even more when I've already got enough out there on tape? There's probably at least some teams. Who think I have what it takes to be a day two guy, and that's think all that's that what he it was? needs. Was the Coley thing? I don't think that's necessarily the only reason. But if seeing the way James Coley's op- offense operated, where there those off those downfield chances weren't just there, I, that that wouldn't surprise me if that factored into his decision at, at some point. I, Why wouldn't it? No, I agree. Well, the only reason I was asking is because you brought it up such a long time ago, and it was like, hey. Do you think Jake Fromm goes in and makes the move of like, hey, yeah. you get a new coordinator or I'm leaving? And I, I again, like, I don't know if that's what it is. I can't imagine. I'm, I'm not close enough to Georgia or know enough about Fromm to to know if he had like the balls to do something like that. You know, like, like excuse what my a language move on that. Been. You what know what I mean? Move. Like, if he just if Fromm just came in, just like on the tables, like here's the deal. I I don't I don't know if that was the case. I do think from a perspective of. When you talk about like what he's going to keep putting on tape, that entire offensive line that you went from saying, and I was, not you personally, but, but we, were, we everyone was saying was the best in the country. Oh, I've said it, yeah. And now it's, it is, you lose four or five. Yeah. You return the center who's academically ineligible. You, like, you, so they lost essentially nine starters out of 11. And, I, and it, listen, I know that that cupboard is not even close to being bare. They are loaded with talent. But my, oh my, how quickly did that change from being like everything Kirby was building and some of these guys he was getting to all of them leaving and like what, what where are we at now? It, ch- it changes in a hurry. Before we spin it forward with some of the, the aftermath stuff, I just want to say this because I know there are a lot of people who are like just really down on, on Fromm after the junior yeah. year that he had and he did not live up to our expectations or, or probably even his own expectations his yeah. junior year. But still, you're talking about a career in which, uh, you know, he's 35 and seven as a starter. Years three old. SEC East titles. <laughs> he looks 35 years old. Yeah, for real. Three and zero against Florida. National title berth, first one since Herschel Walker. All that stuff. Like second in Georgia history in touchdown passes and passer rating. Trails only Aaron Murray in those categories. Has twice as many top ten wins, six, as the next closest Georgia quarterback. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's so if. If you that had told stat, Georgia, Connor. 
that is an important stat because if you had told Georgia fans after watching Jacob Beeson go down, the five-star kid who everybody was saying, Kirby, if you do one thing, make sure that you keep Jacob Beeson. And we we have this rough first year, and then Jacob Beeson is coming back, and all the buzz is about Jacob Beeson, and he goes down in the first quarter of that game. And then you tell Georgia fans what's going to happen after that? I Dude, think they would take that all day, every day. And you know, it's so that's such a such a good point, man. Because like, like once a week you bring up a stat. I feel like now that is is so so great and like in depth, like that. Like that people people do need to hear that. Like that's like, and you know what? What's like when Eason when Eason was being recruited, and I just I know this happens with like all programs. This isn't just a slight at UGA, but I remember the talk in in, in Georgia and Atlanta, especially being like. We gotta keep Eason. Like we gotta keep Ricked. So that was the Eason. bigger storyline than when yeah. when Kirby was hired. That right. was such so a like, huge deal. We, we've got to hold on to Eason to five star quarterback. And this is the guy that's gonna take us to this. Blah blah blah. So then you get Eason, and then he's supplanted after injury by Fromm. And Fromm, Fromm's first starts on the road at Notre Dame. Right. They go to a national championship. He's. I've said this before. He's a few seconds away from being an SEC legend. Like those first two seasons, about like almost beating Alabama. It doesn't happen. And the aftermath from this. I said I said in 2020 I was going to be honest, and it was funny to me to read some of these comments. But at the same time, it was so damn disheartening and stupid to see some of these people because because like the people the the fans that are that are saying like next man up or trying to be like you know I guess rah rah for the program itself. I kind of get that, but the people that were so quick to dismiss his career that sucked. And, and I don't. I never thought that Jake Fromm was necessarily like more talented than Tua, and we know he's not better than Burrow and all that kind of stuff. And but like it was, it was amazing to me to see the amount of fans. And and to be fair, on a much smaller level, Bama fans had the same people about say about Tua. Like offense is gonna be better without him next year, and maybe it will. Maybe they'll go out and get. I, I said I had a tweet yesterday. Like maybe maybe they go out and get a grad transfer, and he can. He's a little bit more mobile, or it, they can figure out something in the offense. And you're oh, two we'll get to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like and, and so maybe that happens, but to be so quick to to diminish from and, and be like, well, it's like we didn't really need him anyway. I, I'm so happy he's gone. I don't know if I would necessarily believe that if that's like the right mentality because because this is a guy. And this this whole thing with Fields, I thought that I thought that narrative was going to be put to bed at some point. You know what I mean? Like nope. the Fields thing. And now I honestly I wonder if if the Fields versus Fromm thing is going to be one of these things we hear from Georgia fans. And and I think they'll win a national championship at some point under Kirby Kirby Smart. I want to be clear about that. But I wonder if this becomes one of those things where we hear from Georgia fans in the same way of like that old narrative, like this is going to be our year. If we hear something like, well, we would have won it in such and such years if we had Justin Fields. And, and, that, and the, I, I hope this is not something that, like, quote-unquote, like, kind of, like, that near, like, haunts the program. That, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know no, it's like, a, it's like a cloud. I, I get yeah. what you're saying. And that's that's part of the problem with, with, with not necessarily Fields, but with, with Fromm and the way that he is viewed by the general public is because his career coincided with Tua. And, you know, Aaron Murray was a guy who didn't necessarily win the big-time games that Georgia was hoping for, and it probably didn't help that the latter half of his career coincided with Johnny Manziel. And, you know, these Uh, guys... Stafford. Stafford coincided with Tebow. Tebow, yeah. It's it's like like every single time Georgia gets one of these guys, there's always somebody better. 
And, yeah, we can go back. We can go back ways, ways. We can go buck the loo if you want. Just um, do it. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's part of the problem with the way that that Jake Fromm it has been. You know, and 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 you know, that's this. That's what he brought on himself because of how well that he played and, yeah. and being able to do what he did as a true freshman in this offense, where he's on that same stage as Tua. Of course, we're going to judge him in the same way, in the same light as Tua, because he was the guy who left Alabama because Alabama wanted Tua more than they wanted Jake Fromm. Lane Kiffin has said that repeatedly and this is something where you know what it's a shame it's a shame for a kid who has meant a lot to that program and the worst headline you've ever seen about Jake Fromm is he's got a fishing lure stuck in his leg and he's in the hospital in June like that that life could be a whole lot worse for a starting quarterback than to have somebody who didn't do all the things that we that we just listed there we dominated rivals 17 and 1 against the division that's pretty good yeah it's just it's amazing how much he didn't care about football obviously with the with the all the outdoorsman stuff and it was that's something (laughs) i'll always regret for him no i'm kidding i and you know to be fair there are a lot of george fans we painted a light of kind of like yeah, uh, there I, are. Plenty. I painted a light yeah. of kind of like the, the some of the negative ones I saw on social media kind of stand out more. But there are a lot of Georgia fans that are also being like logical about this and like and and like the Fromm thing, like you can definitely recognize like how how like how great of an impact he's had on the program. This the next part we're going to talk about. This has just been wild. This added insult to injury because it was probably minutes. literally. Literally, like, a couple minutes after Fromm announced it. I don't know if this was by design or what. I felt terrible for Georgia fans getting this because it was, like, an uppercut to the chin and then just, oh, you're on the ground, you're laying there on the mat, I'm just going to take another, like, I'm going to stomp your face in at this point. You know what it was like? It was like when Mike Tyson bit someone's finger off, but it was an ear. But it was an ear. Spit it out on the canvas. Yeah. Cade Mays is transferring to Tennessee. The five-star offensive lineman for Georgia, who heading into his junior year, I gotta think that kid was gonna show up on preseason All-America list. He had that kind of a start to his yeah. career. Started all five positions. Started all five positions. Just so versatile, so valuable for that team. And with all that the talent that they were losing with Sam Pittman, the departure there, Cade Mays was expected to kind of be the guy for that group. And we find out that he's going back to Tennessee, where he's from. His brother, of course, is a 2020 recruit there. But that's not, of course, all that's to the story, because it never is. Soon after we find out that Cade Mays is indeed transferring to Tennessee and staying within the division, we find out that his dad, Kevin Mays, is suing Georgia after having his fingers severed. Apparently it happened on a recruiting visit where he got his finger caught in a chair, and Sam Pittman was the one who then put the severed finger on ice. So now Kevin Mays is seeking $3 yes, Gosh, that was too soon. Uh, seeking $3 million in damages from Georgia, Kevin Mays is for that. And you of don't course, use that pinky that much. Uh, of course, we find out that the Mays family is being represented by none other than Tom Mars. Who's Tom Mars, you ask? Oh, that's the lawyer who helped Shea Patterson, Justin Fields. Get both of them eligible immediately upon transferring. That is the goal for Cade Mays at Tennessee. He wants to be able to play next year. This whole deal just kind of feels like it's all connected, and it's now a, a battle of he said, they said, because Mars came out and said that Georgia obviously leaked the story about about the lawsuit. This had been under wraps for a while, and they leaked this out because they wanted to make a kid look bad. I don't know, man. I, all I know is if you're trying to get a kid eligible and everybody sniffs it out immediately and says, okay, this is just a ploy to get, to get Cade Mays eligible – that's probably what I would say if I was a lawyer too in that position because you're looking after your clients. Weird. I'm, I I will say, 
Time for a little story time here, boys and girls. Gather around. Uh-oh. My first Shreveport job, story? That, oh, we should do it at some point. My After the season, my, we're going to do it. Yeah. My first job I ever had was at Brewster's Ice Cream. I and love Brewster's so fun much. Fun fact about Brewster's Ice Cream is my dad, I got in trouble at Brewster's because I missed work and I was sick. But then... I was like sick for like two days. I called out like early and they, they covered both days. But then the, by the second day, I was like feeling better. And my parents let me go to the high school football game that Friday night. And one of my coworkers who was at Brewster's covering for me, it was so slow, they got sent home. So they went to the high school football game and they saw me. Oh, and they man. called the boss and said I was lying. And I wasn't lying about being sick. I really was. I just got better. But they they suspended me from from Brewster's and thought about firing me. My dad's response was to sue them for $80,000 because they didn't have a, a bathroom that was working at the time. So if we were on the shift, we had to go down to the, the gas station at the, at the corner to go to the restroom. So he, he, he sued Brewster's. And I can tell you firsthand, when you're at a place of employment or at a place that you're playing football and your father is suing the, the establishment, it's not the most comfortable thing to be Awkward. a part of. Yeah. <laughs> so I get Cade Bay's leaving. Now, all totally, jokes, same thing. All jokes aside, and I had cut my finger off uh, several times this week. No. So the, the thing that makes this so amazing to me is, one, I, I need... I don't want to say a Truman show. I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it if it was on the SEC. Oh, I'd watch I, it. I need more... I can I would spend I would sleep so much less if I could if I could watch like you think about like you want to hear recruiting stories and the gossip and the juicy stuff I, the fact that there's so many names involved in this where there's like they're on a recruiting trip this dude cuts his finger off cuz he can't properly sit in a chair Sam Pittman puts the finger on ice Can you like That's what I want to see. He's, like, how good of a recruiter is Sam put, Pittman? Putting a finger on ice, I, I got you, brother. I got you. I got you. It puts puts it on ice. You think Matt Luke's gonna do that? You don't want Matt Luke? You think Matt <laughs> Luke's gonna be grabbing your finger off the floor? I don't. I don't think so. I just. I. This story was so amazing in so many ways. What sucks is, I don't know the situation well enough to weigh in on who I think is wrong here. I I will say that Cade Mays, from the moment he stepped on on campus, he seemed like he was going to be a problem in some ways. In some ways of like his attitude, where he was so blatant. He had the video that came out where he's singing Dixieland Delight and F Tennessee and F LSU and and ball and all that kind of stuff. And I know he's a kid and all that kind of stuff, but he was he was a nasty offensive lineman. Like this guy was not afraid to. He hurt people. He hurt people. Cole Kubelik, search Cole Kubelik's Twitter handle yeah. and Cade Mays, and it is. I mean, you'll spend probably ten minutes watching clips of him just yeah. bullying people. It, it's an ugly sight. That's just from his first two years at Georgia. And I, and I will say, like you know, I don't think I don't I don't know if he's a bad kid or anything like that. But I just know that there was you could tell there was going to be some added extra something like at, involved with him being at Georgia when he's from Knoxville. His dad was a letterman there. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he played under Fulmer. His brother was going to, to Tennessee. And I just, you know, the way he left, like leaving a, a letter for Kirby on Tuesday night or whatever it was. And then mm-hmm. it just, this, this thing. And then, Oh, by the way, and I'm, and I don't know when they knew about the lawsuit, but like suing the university of Georgia for $3 million. Cause you lost half your pinky. When, when if I, all I would say about this is, if I'm on a recruiting trip and my dad gets his finger cut off, after I'm done celebrating that finger being cut off, I am not going to be expecting to sign with that school. I, like I just, I can't imagine my dad shaking my hand with half of like four and a half fingers, being like, "Proud of you, son." 
and then be like, this is where I want you to go, the place that haunts my dreams because of the finger. They're like Chubbs from Happy Gilmore. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty sick, Chubbs. Oh, so whose fault is this? Is this George's fault? Is this the Mays family's fault? You know whose fault? It's the NCAA's because they're the ones who created a system that essentially said if you're going to transfer and try and be eligible immediately, you got to make up some some got to give us some sort of yeah. reason. You got to give us something. And don't make it and be about a sick family member. If you're if you know if you're no no forward, that's not good enough. Make sure it's not a family member that could be dying. Like that that is not juicy enough for us. We need we need fingers involved. We need finger, whatever you can sort of grab, hold on, we'll, we'll take whatever excuse that you got, even if you're Tathan Martell and you've got some sort of excuse about, oh, the the, the coaching staff that, that I wasn't a part of or that, that didn't recruit me is all of a sudden taking over, whatever the case may be. But before we go on to the next topic, can I just ask you point blank? I want to hear your opinion. I'm scared. I'm very scared. Is there a problem in Athens? Is there a problem with what? Because that's not an easy question to just definitively say yes, in my opinion. There's, I was, here's what I would say. And I, I still say, I said this yesterday and I still believe it. Georgia will have the best defense in the country again next year. And, they, and they're going to be even better than they were this year. I, I fully believe that. My question is, do, <laughs> my question is, there's obviously something going on more than meets the eye in Athens, Georgia right now. I just want to know what that is. I think when you have, this much five-star talent, it doesn't happen everywhere because there are certain programs that are able to, to handle this type of talent and they're, they're really good at it and they, they make it look like it's easy. Mm-hmm. And maybe that has sort of raised our expectation for how everybody should be able to handle this. And every program, I think, that does have this amount of talent still has issues. Alabama had some had some transfers earlier in the year that yeah. you're just like, oh, Antonio Alfano, what? Anoma, oh, wait, why is he Anoma? going? Yeah, Ayabi Anoma, why is he going? This stuff happens, but it has it happened more at Georgia? Does it feel like it has happened more at Georgia? Yes, yes, and I it, think that's I think that's fair to say. And both those things happening the same day does not help. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. That that is that is a nightmarish twenty four hours for a university. But I go back to what I'm saying, and and again, this this book is still has plenty of chapters to be written in Kirby Smart's tenure at UGA. Yeah, it absolutely but, does. But what I will say is, and I said this in the off season, people said I was stupid, partially because I am. But when I we got sirens, we're about to have a Ooh, banger podcast. First we'll sirens in the house, guys. Um, nice. When I when I said in the off season, with Kirby coming into the season, you lose both coordinators. I, and I think that's one of the reasons he kept Coley is is that when you go into the, like like when you get to that that level, right of, of like the the elite program that you've been talking about, especially with Bama, is now you get to start going through some of the same stuff that that Bama's had to fight or those other teams have had to fight, where you have the coaching turnover and you lose the five stars because they're not. This is not from playing time, but whatever. You have guys leave early for the NFL draft. You weren't expecting to leave early for the NFL draft. And you got to pick up those pieces and move on and then go be as dominant as you were the year before. Or guess what you get to hear for an entire 365 days? Dynasty's over. Everything's crumbling around you. They just I, I don't think that's happening necessarily at Georgia, but it just shows you how tough it really is to stay atop the college football world sometimes, especially in the SEC. And now a program that is adding more five stars and added one in Cade Mays, Tennessee. The SEC East is all sorts of interesting at the top right now because immediately after Georgia has this sort of day where you hear about this bizarre story and Jake Fromm going to the NFL, you even have people like Danny Cannell who are crowning Florida the 2020 SEC East champs. The What has ensued from all of this is that we are going to have, I think, at least going into this year, 
a more competitive balance in the SEC East as opposed to, like I said, Georgia going 17-1 and against the division the last three years. Not saying that Georgia can't have a really, really good year in the division next year, but I think Florida, in all likelihood, is going to be the media pick to win the division. I think, think so. going into I think going into going into 2020, yes, and we've talked about that the gap being the, the gap has has slimmed for sure, without yeah. a doubt. And we, you know, Tebow brought that up when he was on last week, and I'm not saying that I necessarily think that Florida is definitively yeah. going to be better than Georgia because well, you said that, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick Georgia to win a national championship either for Fair. the 2020 season. I picked them to win it all for the 2019 season. Um, but this battle in the trenches that we've talked about so much and why Georgia's had this advantage in years past, now all of a sudden you look at Tennessee's offensive line, which, oh, by the way, returns Trey Smith and potentially is going to add Cade Mays. We just assume he's going to be eligible next year because will, if you have yeah. drama, yeah, it'd be kind of weird if he wasn't. I don't know why he would leave going into his draft year either. That's a whole other thing we don't have to get into. But like, yeah. he's, he's eligible for the draft. But they, yeah, like you said, Trey Smith, Cade Mays. And then if you had those two former five-star tackles bookending the offensive line i mean that 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 offensive line is all of a sudden getting much much better than it was a couple years ago in florida as we know is set to return four starting offensive linemen and now georgia is the one that's just returning maybe one obviously still stockpiled with talent but when you replace sam Pittman and you have matt luke in there i'm not saying that that's a downgrade per se not saying that but you just you have more questions and suddenly there are more questions and it feels like the East is more up for grabs than it has been before, and you know, and I don't have the numbers in front of me on this because, like I said, I did. I decided to devote all of my energy going into this podcast into breaking down the national championship <laughs> game because that's what I thought we were going to have. Last twenty four hours changed that for <laughs> everything, sure. man. So, I, dude, I got done at like six p.m. Some people said I was so excited, or maybe it was like later. And then, like, and this stuff had happened, but I was like, this isn't a big enough deal to do a deep dive into their recruiting stars, right? I don't want to do that. So, but, so I don't have all that stuff in front of me, but I remember looking at last year and looking at those, that offensive line that Georgia had stockpiled under Sam Pittman, and it was like, not worried if one guy goes down. Because they had they battled injuries all year. And, you know, something mm-hmm. we don't ever talk about enough is the injuries. And they, they battled Nobody injuries. ever brings up the injuries. And, on the offensive line, it was just crazy. And, like, I think that when you have – I don't I don't know where it's at now. And I don't, I'm not doubting they don't have as much talent, but when you have guys like I think Broderick James, the, the five star kid who committed and didn't like didn't sign on signing day, and you've had a couple right. of guys flip that are, are four stars, and you know you, you've like the attitude has has somewhat been, yeah, all right, we don't really need him. We got another guy, or he's like the lowest ranked of these these guys, and, I, and I'm sure there's talent coming in, but it quickly went from being like, oh my god, I've never seen this amount of five stars and four stars on the offensive line stockpiled to like, whoa. Like how do you, it went to being like not not the strength of the team, almost like a weak link of the team. They're going to have a new identity next year. Yeah. And that identity is going to be built around this defense, which like we said, I think it could be the best in America. We find out that Richard LeCount, Monty Rice, Eric Stokes, they're all coming back. Five-star sophomores, Nolan Smith, Trayvon Walker, those guys are going to be there too. This defense is going to be That's phenomenal. Before you bring in the five stars they got coming in. Exactly, exactly. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about that, but this team is going to have a different identity. And the good thing, and maybe this is going to be announced by the time that we're done recording this podcast, that would be kind of par for the course. Georgia's going to get a grad transfer quarterback. Yeah. It just depends on who it is. I, I believe I would be stunned if they did not end up with a, dra- with a grad transfer quarterback. And my guess, if we're predicting today, 
is that it'll be Jamie Newman. Yeah. Now, Jamie Newman is somebody who I have really tried to, to do a lot of research on in the last week or so Idiot. ever since we found out that he was going to hit the open market. Somebody that you hear about kind of in passing during the season, but you know, when I'm not sitting there forced to watch a Wake Forest game, I'm not really going to take in a lot of God, Jamie you Newman. You really got to get stuff. a gambling problem next year, man. It does wonder how many teams you watch. For those of you who want to sound smart to your friends and want to know a little bit something about Jamie Newman, he is pro football focuses number three returning QB in all of college football next year. He is behind Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. That's it. That is how much confidence they have in him. And part of that is because he was second in America behind a certain Joe Burrow in touchdown passes thrown into tight windows. He had 14 of those this year. What does Georgia need when it doesn't have a coordinator who can really scheme these guys open? A guy who can fit the ball into tight windows. Teams have teams will have to respect his ability to run. It's something he he can and is willing to do. But his arm is really really talented, and he is somebody that has been he has been accurate. He is somebody that has really shown those those signs of, of progression, and is somebody that is highly coveted on the the grad transfer market for sure. He said he's considering, according to Bruce Feldman, he's considering Miami, Maryland, Oregon, Washington, and Georgia. And oh, by the way, it is a dead period in the recruiting cycle, so that means coaches can only talk; they can't meet in person. But Jamie Newman is in Atlanta all week training. Uh, so about UGA ATL, UGA ATL. I see what you did there. Yeah. Okay. I still hate that, but um, so I think this is. So I sat on this because I didn't know how realistic it would be, but I I've been hearing since we were in Athens on like the second, like on November 9th, I guess it was. Whenever oh, we were, over whenever a we month. There, yeah, two months. Two months that that Georgia has was going to at least start entertaining the idea of getting Derek King. And, and getting him as a transfer quarterback. At the time, he was the premier transfer quarterback on the market, just in case Fromm went pro. And I said this in the Facebook group, and I'll say it on here, because uh, I don't think it's inappropriate, and I think it's the best way to describe it, is if you gave De'Eric King to an offensive coordinator like James Coley, that would be like giving a Kardashian to a virgin, because he would have no idea what to do with him. I, I think this kid from Wake Forest, Jamie Newman, is your best bet. Now, let's keep in mind, they still have Carson Beck, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Uh, coming out of high school for next year as a freshman. Florida fans like like them some some Carson Beck. No, that was mean. I just, they, they definitely don't like it, him. It's one of those things too. It's it's interesting because, like you've heard this for a, a couple, a, you know, in a few circles about how Carson Beck's gonna be good. He can compete next year if, if, if Fromm leaves. I do think that like people underestimate because of the name brand on his helmet because of Wake Forest. People don't understand how good of a quarterback Jimmy Newman was, and like this past season, he he was he was really good. I, I think, you know. One of the excuses we heard all year, and let's just buy into it and say that Georgia fans are right. Those receivers, the freshman receivers, couldn't get open and they weren't good enough. All these former five stars, all these guys that were so great coming out of high school, all of a sudden they weren't that great and they couldn't get open. Maybe with a year of experience, all those five stars start playing like the elite talent and they all start playing like Pickens did. I don't know. And the running backs, I'm not worried about Swift leaving because they are loaded at running back. Um, the, like I said, the offensive line is going to be the question mark here. And, and, and I tell you what, all this is great. I think they get Newman. I really do. I think, I think that Kirby, Kirby's a hell of a recruiter. And, and when you go out, like, like I said earlier, you can go to, I don't know why the F you would go to Miami, like at all. I don't know. I, Maryland, I could get cause of Loxley, Washington. You don't know who the, the, like the coach in place is not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same system as before necessarily. Oregon, I get. Oregon, I definitely get because you can go out and, and compete with with uh, a Pac-12 championship and, and, and that kind of stuff and not play the same defense in the SEC. 
But bringing somebody into the SEC, having to go up against better competition before you go to the NFL, and running the NFL pro style system, the things that no like we no one's really talking about like besides when we like brought up this defense earlier, it's gonna be hard to lose games with that defense. Like very true. It's it's it was hard. Like there were five. Was it four straight games? It was at least four straight games where Jake Fromm had under fifty percent completion percentage, and and that defense before the LSU game hadn't given up more than twenty points all season. I just what, didn't Georgia not score thirty points after Tennessee? Maybe I don't. I don't think I don't think they did. That is like combined because I could also see that. That's what it felt like sometimes. But I, I do. So think, that's that's a sell though. You're yeah. right. And, and being as much as it's we talk about James Coley and why would he want to go play in that offense? And that's a legitimate question worth asking because this is somebody who has one chance to be able to to play in the NFL and doesn't want to ruin that opportunity necessarily. This was somebody who. When it was announced that he was available, it was a big surprise. It wasn't just like a Felipe Franks announcement or a Jake Bentley announcement. Everybody that you, you follow on, on you know, in terms of national people who who really have had a chance to watch Wake Forest up close the last last couple of years were like, whoa, whoa, this is not something that we expected to see. Either we thought he was going to the NFL or we thought he was going to run it back. I mean, this is a, a talented player and somebody that Georgia it, would be very fortunate to end up with. And the last thing I'll say, too, is that he's not one of those guys that, like, I'm not, I'm not saying this to hitch our wagon to one person or say the offense is solely going to run through one person. But the one thing that Miami, Maryland, Oregon, and Washington don't have, and a lot of other schools don't have, is George Pickens. They, they don't have a George Pickens on that team. George can, Pickens hype train. They let's can go make you look even better uh, as, a, as a quarterback. So now let's talk about all the other stuff that I researched. Yeah, so there's a certain game happening on Monday night. Don't know if you've heard about it. It's a couple of Tigers, a couple of uh, battles of Death Valley, uh, a certain Coach O, a certain Coach Dabo. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait till the national championship. The fact that we have had to wait 16 days, it's just not right. It doesn't, it yeah, just doesn't you know, it's sit just, right. Sometimes when you need an extra off week to prepare, it's, it's, I'm glad this year they could do that. That's nice. No, no, not necessarily the nicest thing for them to do to us. But how fitting that it took us a while to get here to talking about the national championship when we had this long layoff. A lot of things that we want to break down for this game. What do you want to do Clark- first, man? <laughs> Let's talk. Let's start with Clemson's number one scoring defense against this LSU offense because that is the strength on strength matchup that we think will determine this game. Now, Clemson also has the top passing defense in America. It's pretty fresh on the, the minds of SEC fans who I'm ear muffet, ear muffet right now, who watched what Brent Venables did to mm-hmm. that Alabama offense last year, where it just seemed like he confused Tua with the coverages that he was able to draw up in that game. And the question that everybody has is, is he going to be able to do the same to Joe Burrow? And do these Clemson defensive backs have any prayer of staying with these LSU receivers? Yes. What does your research tell us, Marlon? Uh, yeah, they definitely do, first off. Anybody going into this thinking that Clemson is going to get boat raced, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. And it could. I agree. Because we haven't seen anybody slow down LSU, and that seems to be the the reoccurring thing we keep talking about. is like, well, like, you know, no one's going to stop LSU. And I, and I agree with that. I agree with that. No one's going to stop this offense. I don't know if Brent Venables will be able to completely stop this offense. What I what I do know about this defense, and, and I know they played in the ACC and all that kind of stuff, but some of these numbers are flat-out gaudy and jaw-dropping, okay? You said they lead the country in what, Connor? They're ranked... Passing defense. They're ranked number one or two in the country in three of the four major statistical categories. So passing defense, total defense, and scoring defense, okay? They also are number one in the country in points per game allowed, total yards... uh, I'm sorry, pass uh, yards per attempt, passing yards per game, uh, yards per play is second, and then third in INTs. 
they, they do everything well. They're so they're so sound. They held twelve of their fourteen opponents to uh, I'm sorry, thirteen of their fourteen opponents under three hundred yards. They held they That's held I'm sorry, twelve of fourteen under three hundred yards and eleven of fourteen under two hundred yards. And I and I know the schedule is crap. It's total crap. It's terrible. But some of the things this defense did was was just flat out like they, they have they had six of their opponents, six that were held under fifty percent completion percentage out of fourteen. That's that's a pretty staggering number, in my opinion. They have guys at the linebacker position like Isaiah Simmons, who is somebody who's going to be highly coveted at the next level, who who covers really well and, and it operates more like a defensive back right. than he does a linebacker at times. He had the big interception, of course, against Ohio State as well. Played safety all, all over the field and stuff like that. Yeah. Now you know, and, and they're ranked twelfth in sacks, uh, which is an issue. And I know that LSU won the Joe Joe Moore Award, but that offensive line did give up some sacks this year. And and I will say. Burrow under pressure is a lot different than get, in getting Burrow to the ground. Like you, you that is that is going to be a key for Clemson. You can't just put pressure on him because Clemson is actually ranked tenth in the country in in uh, percentage of blitzes per play on defense. It's like over fifty percent. Burrow leads the country in touchdowns, completions, and yards uh, or passing plays over twenty yards when he's under pressure. So you have to get to him. That defense though has thirty takeaways, Connor. Thirty takeaways, and the reason why that's staggering to me is because. It's the same amount of total scores they've allowed in the entire season. Thirty, like, like, and and we talk about LSU's offense, how efficient it's been, and you get to Joe Burrow and and how he just moves that team up and down the field. And the red zone, they LSU leads the country in red zone touchdown percentage and, and red zone uh, conversions at ninety seven percent. That Clemson defense, it was only second. What they did to Ohio State. They, they've done it all year. They haven't give, they, yeah. they haven't allowed a red zone touchdown in four of the last five games. They have only allowed ten touchdowns in twenty eight trips. Only twenty eight trips all season, and ten of them have only only ten of them have resulted in a touchdown. They've done a really good job once they once they had their backs against the wall. This Clemson defense is a uh, just a fantastic, fantastic job of capitalizing on mistakes, and that was what we saw against Justin Fields, somebody who came into that semifinal game having thrown one interception, and of course he had two interceptions in that game. The second one was a wrong route that yeah. was run. Chris Olave admitted that afterwards, but still they capitalized on mistakes and they were able to put the game away. This LSU offense, though, with these with these receivers, I was interested to see the numbers of Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson when they face a top 20 defense yeah. because they faced four of them this year. Those guys have averaged in those games a combined 13.8 catches for 202 yards. That's pretty good. That's 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 pretty, pretty good. And I, I did kind of a deep dive on LSU's receivers compared to Clemson's receivers and Justin Ross and T. Higgins and these guys who everybody knows they are household names and they remember seeing what they did in the national championship last year but who are coming into this game under some different circumstances. Because mm-hmm. if you watch that game against Ohio State, it was not those two guys who were the difference for Clemson's offense. At all. It was Travis Etienne in the passing game. It was Trevor Lawrence using his legs. Those two guys were contained. Justin Ross was banged up throughout the second half. And T. Higgins had that catch of 21 yards to start the game. And then neither Nothing. guy after that after that catch, which was their first play from scrimmage, had a had a passing play of more than 20 yards. That is how tough it was for them to get separation against this Ohio State defense that's really, really good. So now the question is, how are they going to get separation against Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley, having Grant Delpit on the back end? What are these guys going to be able to do when they see another top 20 defense? Because 
that Ohio State defense was the first top 20 defense yep. that they had faced all year. So, and that, I question. So, And I'm glad you brought that up, Connor, because that's one of the first things I looked at. And, and I, I think that we talk about those receivers from Clemson. They are they present a, a, di- a different challenge than the receivers we saw for Bama, maybe. And I would definitely say the reason I'm bringing up Bama is because that's the other best group of receivers in the country. I think we yep. all agree. These these three teams. Um this is a different beast, though. This is not the speed of Ruggs or the, the route running of of, uh, of of Judy or anything like that. These guys are big physical receivers, both over 6'4", big guys. But you're right. And, and LSU has faced six top 40 defenses this season. Clemson's faced two. And like you said, they've only faced uh, – you, you start looking at these numbers T. Higgins has put up, and on, on paper they look great. They look fantastic. I mean, like, he is power five. He is the the highest graded power five receiver according to Pro Football Focus. And I trust them. I think they're great. I, I and that's I got some great information from them as well. He's got a touchdown in five of the last six games, right? And and you know I'll let you guess. He's had ten touchdowns total in the last six games. Do you know the one game he didn't catch touchdown pass, Connor? Ohio State. Shocking. Shocking. Uh, they've tried to go to Justin Rossmore. Uh, he has 61 total receptions on the season. 18 of those. 18 of those. So basically 30% of the whole season came in the last three games. I think he has one touchdown. You look at ETN. ETN is one of the most underrated backs in the country. He's run for over, I believe, over 1,500 yards. Yeah, 1,500 yards. Yeah. Has eight yards of carry. Clemson, as a team, leads the country in yards per carry at 6.14. Travis Etienne, the thing that impressed me most about him is you have about like 19, 20 kids that, that rush for an average of more than 100 yards a game, right? And it seemed like he kind of went, went unnoticed. And, and, and being able to run for 1,500 yards in like for the defending national champs usually doesn't go unnoticed. But I'll tell you what, he faced two top 30 rush defenses this year. That was Texas A&M, and guess who else, Connor? Ohio State. And I know he caught some passes out of the backfield, but his numbers rushing uh, against those two teams – Against AM, 16 carries, 53 yards. Against Ohio State, 10 carries, 36 yards. Lowest output of the entire season. They finally had to face some competition, and to their credit, they were able to win a game because not of these guys, right? Like, I think ETN had a great job out of the backfield. He was a big part of that win. In the passing game, yeah. But Trevor Lawrence is the key to victory, I think, in this defense. And giving Venables an extra week to repair, that is that makes me believe more in Clemson and some of these other numbers. Which we will continue to get into, but I think you're I think you're spot on with this. Like the the receiving thing, like when you look at LSU, because that's the first thing I always want to do, and I'm like, all right, let's see what they've done though against real competition. Because if you talk to a Clemson fan, I, I've talked to several this week, and a lot of them are like Vandy put up 38 against them. I'm like, boy, you better keep that same energy on Tuesday because that is not how this team works. And when you look at LSU when they face good competition, their numbers get better. They actually have. And Trevor Lawrence, I, I think, is going to make plays in this game. I'll be stunned if he doesn't. And he'll make. I think he'll make plays with those receivers. I don't think it's going to be completely one-sided in that regard. But to think that LSU's defense is a pushover would be a mistake. Because since that Ole Miss game where we criticized them a lot and they, they faced a lot of national criticism in those four games in which they faced the likes of Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, and Kellen Mond, they allowed 5.3 yards per attempt, 43% passing, and a 2-6 to six TD to INT allowed. This defense has completely put the clamps on. And they have, they have turned it around. And we give them credit because they were getting a lot of criticism for not being a complete team. Mm-hmm. But I said a lot with, Grant Al- with Grant Alpett healthy, they, this has been a different group. We, now, we know that they're getting Michael Divinity back mm-hmm. as well. Can that be a factor in this game? This LSU defense 
is not what it was in the middle of the season. I think that's anybody that's holding on to hope that that's yeah. going to be the case. I, I think that'd be misguided. And I know I went off about. I said it, it was a concern they gave up the 400 yards of rushing against LSU and or against Ole Miss. And and I I stand by that. If, if if the fact that like I think to to there's some changes that have been made that are go go a lot deeper than just we got healthy. We just got healthy magically a week later. I don't think that's exactly what happened. I think it woke them up. Like a There's so bit. much more discipline now. So Look at the way they defended the so, counter against Oklahoma. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. And, and side note, real quick, on, on like them getting after the quarterback, Clemson sacks being 12th. Just before I forget, LSU is ranked 94th in the country in sacks allowed, and they won the Joe Moore Award. I just, I don't that doesn't I don't get it. But talking about the defense, I'll, I'll try to stay on topic because I don't don't do a good job of it. But since that Ole Miss game, it's the exact same note that I had, Connor. They've allowed 4.13 yards per play, which is tied for first in the FBS. They've only allowed, they've had three of the four teams they've held to, after giving up 400 yards rushing, they, they've held three of the next four teams to under 100 yards. One, the only team that went over 100 was Arkansas, right? So they've, they've, they held, they held, they're the first team to hold Oklahoma to under 100 yards in 53 games. 53 games. It's, it's the start Gosh, of the It's crazy. And, and the, the numbers have been crazy. And we talk about the, the one thing that, that Clemson fans or people that are in favor of Clemson have really, really honed in on is, well, they can take advantage of this pass defense from LSU. They, you know, I know they've got stars, and they've got Stingley and Delpit and, and Christian Fulton, whatever. But like Clemson, Clemson's a team that does throw a lot of vertical routes, and they've scored on 12 of 14 games this year, they've scored on at least one vertical route for a touchdown, a deep ball, 30-plus yards from, from Trevor Lawrence. This past defense is ranked 56th in the country, averaging, giving up 222 yards per game from LSU, right? You look at those numbers like a little bit closer and look at the numbers that actually matter. They're 5th in the country in, in total interceptions with 17. They are 7th in both opponent pass, defense, uh, pass efficiency and, and QB rating. Connor, they are 2nd in the country in QB opposing QB completion with 50.2%. That is so misleading to, to just hang your head on the fact that, oh, well, that pass defense gave a lot of yards. Since that Ole Miss game, they've given up 65 total points. And this is something that rings true with this defense for most of the season. And I think LSU fans have been trying their best to, to tell me and the rest of the country, a lot of this is garbage time stuff, guys. A lot of the stuff that's late is, is when the game's in hand. And I, for one, was wrong to not look at it closer sooner. Since that Ole Miss game, they've given up 65 total points. And 35 of those points have come in the fourth quarter. Garbage time. Yep. If you're Clemson, then... I think Trevor Lawrence using his legs has to be a key fixture of this game. And I'm not saying, because I know I said before the Oklahoma game, you, you, we're same, see what we did there. I know I said before the Oklahoma game that I think Jalen Hurts' legs has to be the huge part of this, this offensive game plan, even if they do fall behind two touchdowns. When LSU was scoring like that, there was nothing that Oklahoma was going to be able to do to be able to come back in that. But if I'm Clemson, and I, I, I know those things, and I think that those matchups on the, on the outside are going to be difficult because these LSU corners are willing to play on an island, and they can go against big physical receivers, yep. and they can make big-time plays. I'm trying to get Trevor Lawrence rolling out of the pocket. I'm looking for situations in which I can kind of attack this LSU defense that really hasn't seen a team that is willing to stick with the quarterback run game for four quarters. And if this game stays close, 
then that is something that obviously yeah. can be taken into account. And because I do still sort of have questions about that. I know they defended Jalen Hurts really well. They, they really, really did. But if they're able to get Trevor Lawrence on these plays where it should be a coverage sack, and he has that presence. And like we talk about with Burrow, where he can keep a play alive and he can just, that third and eight where you're just thinking to yourself, man, there's, there's absolutely nothing there. But you have somebody like Trevor Lawrence who understands this moment, doesn't freak out, and is able to, to kind of relax and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get nine here. I'm going to make sure I can do whatever I can to get to the sticks and get out of bounds. That can be the difference for Clemson in this game. So, And people finally started talking about that with Trevor Lawrence after the Ohio State games. We saw him break off a couple big runs, had over 100 yards. But this is something that's been going on all season. And yeah. and we talk about like ETN having eight yards to carry and all that kind of stuff and, and all that. But but Trevor Lawrence is is fourth, fourth in, in Power 5 uh, quarterbacks yards per carry behind Jalen Hurts, guys like that. Um, he, he averaged over five and a half yards to carry all season long, and this is not, he only had sneaky he, athletic. Yeah, he had one see, he had one game this season where he had negative yards because of like sacks, whatever. This is this is a kid. Trevor Lawrence is we don't we talk about Joe Burrow so much, and Joe Burrow deserves all that attention. And and Trevor Lawrence, you know, I think I've said it the past couple of weeks after that UNC game, a lot of people, including myself, like you know, have kind of just written off Clemson and just kind of thought this is what they are, and this is they're not as good as they were before, and just kind of stopped watching. And to be fair. No one wanted to watch a bloodbath between them and Boston College. I mean, this is a team that's faced five defenses or pass defenses ranked 100th or worse, and four rushing defenses that are ranked 100th or worse. It's not like they're going up against good competition. We, like Wake was the one they tried to, to make us feel like it was important. ESPN. Yeah, like if, if Clemson wins this game, it's not going to. People are going to say, oh, you guys should have been giving them more respect in the middle of the season. No. No, it doesn't Absolutely change the competition not. and who they play. <laughs> yeah. It just means that they were, they were really, really good mm-hmm. and that they played up to that level of potential that we thought they could play yeah. up to during the during the playoff and they want deserve to win a national championship and, and this is a team that you know they've just been humming along in that first half of ohio state i know what happened they're down 16 points but this is a team that has a, they've had one turnover in the last seven games Tre- one total trevor lawrence has none he's had 25 total touchdowns 22 pass touchdowns and, and he's had at least three passing touchdowns in every game except for guess who Ohio, Ohio State. State, and and yep. I think that you know it's 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 one of those things where uh, Trevor Lawrence just his numbers itself they're not as gaudy as as, as you would say as, as Joe Burrow's because Joe Burrow's in this offense have put up just incredible numbers all, all year long. The talent's definitely there. We haven't had to see Clemson really have to piece it together until this last time against Ohio State, and that's you know it is indicative of their schedule. It's fine, but at that point, like you said a couple weeks ago, that goes out the window. It's these two teams playing for national championship. Yep. And, and, and I agree with you on that now. And it's, it's, but here's some numbers to, to tell you everyone riding off Clemson and God, I want to man, do I want to, they are 25 and O under Trevor Lawrence. They're 20. They've won 29 straight games. They're 25 and O under Trevor Lawrence. They're 19 and six against the spread under Trevor Lawrence. They are eight and one against the spread. Their last nine games as an underdog. This is not a team that is going to roll over and die like Oklahoma as much as we all want no them way. to. It, they have talent all over the field, and and then and you know, I'm telling you, Brent Venables will have something. But I just got to think, I got to think that in the end, the the committee will put Bama in like they're supposed to. And they're, <laughs> It had to go there. A couple more things that I want to address before we we put a bow on this and move on to some some fourth and wrong and whatnot. 
Um, I thought it'd be fun to kind of look back. I looked back at all my crystal balls for every SEC team that I wrote coming into yeah. this year, and it actually weren't that bad. I only had one one team that I missed by at least three games, and that was Arkansas, ironically enough. I thought Arkansas was going to win five games overall, and that did not happen. Yeah, I, I think I was on, <laughs> Go board, figure. On, on board with that, too. Um, so I went back and I looked at my my synopsis that I write at the end of all of these crystal ball articles where I predict every single game, and then at the end I kind of write like a, here's how I think the season will play out, yeah. here's how people will think of it. So for LSU, I have I believe LSU deserves to start in the top five. Pat on the back. I also believe LSU has a strong chance of finishing in the top five, which is obviously more important. I think this year sets up extremely well for the Tigers to be able to, to establish an extremely high floor, two uses of extremely, as we close out the 2010s. Beat Bama or bust shouldn't be the expectation, though I realize it'll come, it'll become that if LSU gets off to the 6-0 start that I predicted. But there's nothing wrong with getting to another New Year's Six Bowl and being in the national conversation this entire season. There's room for a fan base to acknowledge success, even if it doesn't yield a playoff berth. Trust me, there are worse places to be than Baton Rouge this fall. And no, I'm not just saying that because beer will be served at Tiger Stadium for the first time. Who is so, their seventh game against? That's irrelevant. That for the is second straight year, Connor predicted irrelevant. Mississippi State to beat so, LSU. I did back off of that before the game was played, yes, of did. course, of course, and I admitted foolish, foolish mistakes. I, I've said, even though that I did make the prediction about LSU having a top 20 offense no. coming into this year, which seemed like a bold prediction, that I, I did not see this coming. I, I for sure did not, but we have been, we have on board for, we've been on board for this ride, and yeah. it's been so much fun, and, and getting to, I'm so grateful that we got to make that trip to Baton Rouge yeah. this year, and really kind of get a feel for this fan base, and get to enjoy it with them, because well, they're have. soaking in. Well, you you have as well. Like you you're going to be wearing the LSU hat all day Monday. I I've already I already got my Coach O E A U X made the Tigers great again shirt. I'm ready. I mean, I'm, like I've had so much fun. Man, and, and it, before I still have one more Clemson set I got to throw out there. So, I'll, but I'll get in reminiscent and, and nostalgic first. We'll get into it when we do over on yeah, this. Yeah, this this honestly has been, and 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 you you know what? Everyone that makes the comment about Chris needs to stop focusing on on these negative commenters and giving them the light of day. You're right. You're a thousand percent right, and it's something I'm working on in 2020. That's gonna start after this. I, I like I'll, I'll say, <laughs> oh, no. no, no, it's not gonna be a bad thing, but it's like I, I think I think, think you're right. I, I think I think there's so many people that have, have weighed in saying that that I gave that too much time, or, or that's not what like everyone thinks about, and I lose sight of that a lot. And that that is something that for the people that have made, have made mention of that, you're a hundred percent right. And the LSU fans that think that I hate LSU, I tell you what, man, I've I've honestly. I have I have so many people that I'm close with that are Clemson fans. I've been to I've like I've told you before. I I, I went to a Clemson game, like probably like seven times this decade. Like I like like big games. I saw the Louisville game against Lamar Jackson. I saw the the top ten game against Notre Dame. Ooh, against Notre Dame there. Um, I I really enjoyed that. But it's so hard not to root for this LSU team and the relationships we've been able to form and forge with like, you know, Mickey Sheremy and Nick Halby and Sean Larkin, Sean, Sean Larkin especially. Those guys are just like. It's been so much fun, man, and it's it's cool to see an entire fan base rally around a team and, and a year and, and the year they're having. And so I, I just, before we talk about the prediction, and just because I, I don't know if you're going to like who I had to pick, I just want to say how much I've loved being a fan of, of your team this year. It's been great. And even if LSU loses this game, to me, it doesn't completely take away from what they've been able to oh, do. Oh, it it's does. It's still been a yeah. magical We'll ride. never talk about I mean... it again. I, I, everything, obviously, will go to go to blank. Let's do some over-unders before we get into predictions here. 
Um, so as we we haven't done this in, in a little while, but I feel like it's we, we need to for a national championship. Yeah. The words real Death Valley are said. I set the over-under at two. I just dropped my pencil in disgust as soon as you said it. You dropped you've dropped everything. <laughs> I did just you dropped, I dropped the phone. phone. Uh, I will say over by a thousand. It'll be brought up so much. Uh, especially, you know, this will be brought up in the same amount as some a-hole named Glenn wearing all-white New Balance to be like, oh, the Tigers are going to win the night. Am I right? Am I right, Bob? It's, it's the ultimate dad joke is, for, for this game. I've heard it so much already. I'm so sick of it. Speaking of things that I'm sick of, how many references to Travis Etienne's Louisiana roots will we get? I set the over-under at three. I think that'll also be over, and this, is, this isn't this is as funny as I thought it would be just because of some people have really taken it too far and sent his mom death threats. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked about that. Not, not the best look necessarily, um, but realize that doesn't speak for all LSU fans. How many references to Kirk Herbstreet's kid playing for Clemson will we get? Oh, and keep in mind that Kirk is calling this game as well with uh, with Chris Fowler. I set the over-under at 2.5. The only redeeming quality for Clemson to win the national championship is if we get to see Kirk Herbstreet watch his, his kid win a national championship. And like I tell you what, the best part about your kid, like like watch, speaking from experience, the best part of watching your son win a national championship is having all 10 full fingers this is true this is true people forget that and don't, don't let's and i realize some if clemson does win this game people are going to accuse herb street of being biased i don't i don't i would not don't, buy that don't do at that at all i, I mean I don't, don't put yourself in that i position. won't see it because i'll quit this job if that happens uh <laughs> How many shots of Randy Moss are we going to get in the crowd? I set the over-under at 3.5. Thad Moss, if he has a big day, maybe. I, so maybe it's because we were only at the game. We were both we were at both games for, for the SEC Championship at the Peach Bowl, but, like, not enough. The under. Like, I haven't seen him on like on camera hardly at all in these games. Showed him they? a decent amount. Okay, good. Because they should, man. Is, is he got the throw still out? They let the cornrows out? Because that's no, my favorite. No, no, no. Old no, school Randy. He's, he's got a short. That that line, he came out and he was paying that $7,000 fine. Straight cash, Straight cash, homie. homie. God, it was good. We say that in our household a lot. Love it. A lot. I mean, Lauren and I both say yeah. straight cash, homie, repeatedly. When I ask to borrow money lost. from my fiance, I always say the same thing. She's like, do you want me to Venmo straight you? I'm like, just give me straight cash, homie. Thanks for supporting me. Yep. <laughs> How many side-by-side comps of Burrow and Trevor Lawrence will we get? I went conservative here and set the over-under at two. That's probably about right. I, one pregame, one during the game. I just want a, a Trevor Lawrence hair flip so badly. I do my hair. No, we're not, we're not getting so late that. To the game I, I saw that song. meme. I saw, I saw that meme being thrown out there. Uh, speaking of Burrow, how many Burrow touchdown passes are we going to get? I set the over-under at 3.5. Under. Quick stat for you. Clyde Edwards-Alaire mm. leads the country in yards per carry on RPO runs, eight yards a carry. Oh, um, my God. PFF is We're the best. I got, I got more things about, about my guy Clyde yeah. in a minute here, too. Um, ear Muffet. How many replays of last year's title game will we get? I set the over-under at 1.5 on Ear Muffet so you can answer that question. Well, I so you've rephrased this or you've, you've phrased this incorrectly because by the second quarter, I got so much vodka in my system that it'll be a first play for me. Uh, and I've I've successfully put that out of my memory. It'll be over, and it'll be a by a lot, and you're gonna see that two a pick, and that oh god. How many how many replays of the 2007 title game where LSU won the national championship in New Orleans? Where we will we get? I set the over under at 1.5 as well. Okay, 
I'll say over, but I want to, I want to know. It's just kind of crazy that LSU has gotten to play for a national championship right? in this in their almost home city for four straight or for four years. Not straight. Makes but, you wonder. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thanks a lot, God. Um, no, like, the, but Marcus Pierce, some of this, I think. I wonder if the market. What do you think we played more? The 2007 championship or the 2004 Marcus Spears? 2003 Marcus Spears pick six. Mm, I think 2007, yeah. just because of yeah, just the way that they won that year, kind of the post Katrina stuff. I think that that would be a little bit more of a of a relevant reference, probably. What's the over under on Georgia fans saying they were the best team in the country that year? Because oh, I'll say gosh. it once. Hopefully, All right, moving on. Hopefully, hopefully negative <laughs> negative five. Uh, last one. This is the best one. Danny Cannell tweets throwing shade at the SEC. I set the over under at seven point five to a quarter. I've been I've been talking to my guy all week, DK. He was not able to come on the show, which I, I sadly, sadly. But this is going to be over, and it's going to be over by a lot. And and I'll tell you this: I love DK to death. He's he's a, he's my dude. He's funny. Um, but I'm I'm am telling you from just somebody that's had seen. He hasn't told me any of this, but I just as somebody that knows him well enough to. That sees how he tweets and all this kind of stuff. He's setting us up. He's he's saying all these nice yep. things. He's saying all these nice things. It's just like we're just all waiting for the yeah, but or well, actually. Here's the thing: if LSU gets off to an early lead, you're not going to hear much about our guy Danny. No. You're you're not going to hear much from him. He is not a high volume tweeter necessarily. I know our friends over at Old Takes Exposed, Fred did, just did a video replaying the 2017 National Championship yeah. mixed in with Canell's tweets, and it was pretty funny to watch. And he actually didn't tweet a ton during that game, and it's probably good because he was wrong with everything yeah. that he said. So this could be another instance in which he doesn't take to Twitter that much if there's a little bit of skepticism about it. So 7.5, uh, the under could definitely hit on that. Yeah, I could agree with that. Let's do predictions. You go first. You want to go first? Nope. Oh, we said it at the same time. Dang it. All right. I'm going LSU 38, Clemson 31. I think Clemson gets a halftime lead. I think that they go into the break feeling good. Dabo's got him fired up. He's got the underdog thing going for him. And then LSU makes those halftime adjustments. They come out with a different plan offensively. They establish even more balance in the second half. They get Clyde Edwards-Alaire more involved. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire ends up being the difference maker in this game. You know, I said last you know last podcast about how Horace Grant is the guy that, that I liked on those Bulls teams because everybody loves Pippen, yeah. everybody loves MJ. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the guy that I have liked watching more than anybody in college football this year, and I'll tell you why. Because watching the way that he finishes runs and the, the variety of things that he does in this offense is so vastly underrated. And LSU fans do not underrate this guy because they've been watching it yeah. all year. But in terms of the national media and the way that he has burst onto the scene, and I don't know if that's just because he was the former three-star recruit and because LSU actually wanted Travis Etienne more than they wanted him, even though he had been committed since before the start of his junior year. I don't know if that's what it is or, or if there are other things that are factored into this because we've seen so many great backs at LSU and he doesn't fit the typical mold of the Darius guys to Leonard Fournette. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire has just been awesome this yeah. year. And I cannot wait to watch this guy healthy. And if they need to rely on him in the second half, they're going to be able to do it because he is that good of a player. And I think he's going to make a big, loud impact in this game. Remember when Travis Etienne had his announcement and he called Clemson the real Death Valley after not picking LSU? I'm not saying that no. that should have factored into the whole threats made against his family. Not saying that at all. Oh, Let the record yeah, show. But obviously somebody that is going to hear the Boo Birds I think in back in his uh, in his home state, and if you're Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you have so much motivation 
for this team, for your hometown team, and to be able to show, all right, you know, maybe maybe they should have just been satisfied with having me in their class. So that's my long-winded way of saying Clemson wins. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is your national championship MVP. All right, I'm gonna I'm moving away from the mic. Oh boy, because I'm gonna get fired up, and oh and I boy. want you to know this is coming from a place of love, and I'm fired up for you. And will get the bleep button ready. I'm scared. You should be. And I listen. I'm so I, I'm warning you now. Turn the volume down. Because I'm going to get loud. Okay? Not too loud, but I'm going to get loud. LSU has a chance to do something they have never done in their entire program history. They get a chance to go 15-0. They have a Heisman winner. They're the only team in the country with a 5,000-yard passer, 2,000-yard receivers, a Belitnikoff winner, a 1,000-yard rusher. They beat everyone's ass all season long. They got in front of Jalen Hurts, wore him out. Seven touchdowns in the first half from Joe Burrow. Okay? Clemson, nobody likes Clemson. There's not a single person that, that for the first time ever we are going to watch an SEC game and the rest of the damn country is going to be pulling for us. They're going to be pulling for, for LSU. No America's, one, team. America's team, nobody wants to see Clemson win. Now, Clemson is a very good football team, and, and I have no doubt that they're going to stay in this game and, and they are going to do this whole poor little old Clemson thing and dabble all shucks. He is going to have his group ready under Brett Venables and that defense, which is legit, he's going to have them ready to be playing that underdog role. And like I said, they're 8-1. and 8-1 and one is the underdog against the spread. They've done really well. And for LSU to win this game, it's going to come down to two things in my opinion. And that's something I brought up against the Alabama game. Before the game, I said... I said, uh, Joe Burrow on first down. How efficient this LSU offense is on first down is what one of the things that makes it go. It's what makes the offense tick. On first and second down, they are they're a combined eighty five. Oh, those on those two yard downs combined, Joe Burrow has thrown for eighty five percent of his passing yards on those downs. He's thrown for over three thousand yards this season on first down alone, which accounts for sixty five percent of his total passing yards of the season. They have to get ahead of the chains constantly. They cannot get in third and long. I still trust Joe Burrow to be be fine in third and long because we know how great he's been under pressure. The thing that no one is talking about, and I don't know how, and maybe it's just me because I'm a jaded Bama fan, Clemson's kicking game is ranked 113th in the country. And everyone keeps saying, well, they're going to can't kick field goals. They want to beat LSU. Yes, they can. Because if you think that this this offense isn't going to be able to put together five and six yard drive or five and six minute drives against LSU, you're going to be wrong. They're going to be able to do it at least once. I, I know how well LSU's been playing. Do not discount what this offense will do if they can keep LSU off the field. The field goals is that's a hundred percent going to be a huge factor in this game because it's been it's been worse than Bama, hundred and thirteenth in the country. They are they are thirteen of twenty two on the season. They have only connected on six of thirteen field goals from thirty to forty nine yards this entire season. And the last thing I'm going to tell you, oh here we go, Connor, is a quote from Nick Saban. Is actually for the LSU game, and I want you to listen up. And I want you to listen good, LSU fans. This is what always gets me fired up. Is I want you to think, how bad do you want this? How much does this mean to you? Because if it means something to you, you can't you can't sit still, Connor. You play fast. You play dominant. You go out there and dominate their ass and make their ass quit. And that's what I want LSU to do all day for 60 minutes this Monday against Clemson. Go out and win it for all of us, man. Nobody wants to see a Clemson national championship. Nobody. That's it. Out. Got a final. Got a final score or no? LSU, thirty-eight. Clemson, twenty-seven. I thought you were going to do the exact same score. That no, I did. no. 
Okay. I, I really thought, I, I had no idea about a minute and a half into that if you were going to pick Clemson or LSU. I'm going to get was, a lot of backlash from Bama fans for just quoting Saban in my pump-up <laughs> Sitting on the edge of my seat. Um, let's go to something else that's going to be, I know I'm a little bit heated there. Uh, something else is bringing a lot of heat to my life right now. Ooh, Texas, there it is. Texas Pete. Yeah, boom. Do you want me to interrupt you, interrupt your great segue, and is, is I, that the way this works? No, I just don't want you to let me call myself a pedo again. Well, let me circle back to this stat that I forgot about. No. Connor, somebody's got to bring the stats to the game. I mean, uh, I'm, out of, I'm out of stats. But one thing I will tell you is, here's a stat for you, and that is zero, which I'm pretty sure is the amount of calories in Texas Pete. So We need to look that up. I probably I, should, I, might be but five. I can tell you right now that it has been an absolute staple in my life. Uh, it was, like I've been saying, the wedding diet, all this kind of stuff. Allie's got me waking up like 6 o'clock in the morning to go to some damn workout class at something called a sports barn. That's neither here nor there. But one thing that has been consistent in my life, because it's obviously not been a kicking game in Alabama or Clemson, is Texas Pete. Put it on everything. Put on your eggs in the morning. Put it on your chicken, uh, if, if, like I said. Or your celery. That's become a main staple. That's usually my side dish now. Love me some celery. I don't care if you don't like celery, Connor. Celery is for celery me. Celery sucks. Connor, you you know what? You think Rocky Road sucks. And that that unequivocally does not suck. I don't think Rocky Road sucks. I think it sucks if it's your favorite ice cream. Okay, sure. Anyway, Texas Pete is my favorite ice cream, so I will say that. And go out and get a bottle today. Go out and get the wing sauce, man. That wing sauce has been a game changer. Mm. That's really good. Uh, anyway. Take, make sure you take pictures. It's the last tailgate of the year. This, let's blow it out this Monday. Send your pictures with the hashtag sauce like you mean it. Go out and get some Texas Pete today. You know what it's time for now? Fourth and wrong questions that I have no idea what they are because you didn't put them in the document. Oh, Connor, you got to think on your feet. It's going to be so sad. Here we go. Are you ready? I'll give you a softball. This is actually asked by several people. Um, Will Martin, McKaylin Crabtree, a couple other people. Who are your way too early favorites on The Bachelor? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, so as as some people know, I'm in two different drafts. Um, I'm in t- I have two different bachelor leagues, one of which is with my family. It's got like 10 people involved. And then one is with my wife's work. I have a team with my wife or whatever. You hated on Hannah you and hated on so Hannah, many things that I said. And you just in, you segued into your own damn bachelor Fantasy leagues? No, no. That's my way of saying I take this seriously, and I'm not just making this up. Because I, I have done the research. We have absolutely done the research. Hannah Ann was our number one pick. Ugh. Hannah Ann was was the number one person on our board. We did not get Hannah Ann because she came off the board too soon. But she is the presumed favorite. She is very, very annoying. Madison has got to be a favorite. I know that's going to pain you because she's a former Auburn basketball player. No, I love her. Player. She can hoop. She's, she's she number one hoop. on my board. Yeah, um, Kelly as well, because apparently she went all Joe and stalked him at a hotel or something like that. Oh, we randomly saw each other at a hotel way back when, and now that just gave me all the sign I needed to do this show. If if Pilot Pete ends up dead... I, <laughs> She's got a crazy... We know who did it. I, I So those are, those are my three favorites probably as of right now. Okay, so the fact that you could say... Courtney, I thought, was the craziest. For sure, she, for sure. She had a look in her eye. So Hannah Ann sucks, and I'll just go ahead and say it. Hannah Ann sucks because she's just every above average, like, just above average hot girl that gets away with everything in the, in the South because she's pretty. From Knoxville. He's shocking. She She's like every eighth that I've ever met that is, is just gets her away because she's pretty. And I don't, I do not like her. Uh, at, at, she's my least favorite. Now, and I don't remember all their names either. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. Kelly, I think Kelly. There's something about her that I, I wouldn't write her off. But yeah, she definitely does have like a, a tinge of crazy. I thought Kylie going home was a 
Shock of the century. That girl was gorgeous. That is why, if you are doing one of these leagues, and if there are people who are involved in this or people who are just skipping this part because they don't watch The Bachelor, that is why you watch the previews. That yeah. is 100% why you put in the time to be able to watch the previews and try and figure out, all right, who are maybe somebody that's on one of these later dates. If I see them making out in front of a waterfall, yeah. I'm going to make note of that. Kylie wasn't in a big part of the previews at all, so you can't so, have Kylie high on your board. Madison is high on my board because Madison is incredible. She's awesome. I don't care if she went to Auburn. She, she's great. McKenna is really pretty, but she's 22. And, and this is like, spoiler alert, me and, and Kristen Sabin, we're going to do a, we're doing a podcast with also from Paige from Bleacher Report um, called Lee. Rose Tide Roll. And we're going to talk about these. And, and we were all three saying. Who came up with the name? Me. Was it was that you? Yeah. And so, no way. Yeah, but I don't get it. Um, so we, we all three were like, there's so much crying. There's so much crying on the show. I'll tell you my, my, my absolute favorite though is, uh, is Tammy. And I hate that name. That name is awful. Mm. That name sounds like she should be smoking Paul Malls and spraying white rain hairspray in her hair. And that outside of a trailer in Anderson, Alabama, that is not good. I like, I like Tammy as a fellow deadlifter. So <laughs> I never Tammy. Okay. Oh, because she actually does that. You meant that. Okay. Never. Okay. All right. Next question. If someone's from Michael Dark, if someone was coming to visit you in your respective home states, what would be the best month of year to visit? Although the weather in Georgia is usually comfortable in March and April, the pollen is suffocating. Hmm. February is when all my friends usually come because you can still get those days in February where it's like mid eighties. And we will go to the beach. We'll go head up to New Smyrna or something like that. You can lay out by the pool right, right out, right outside here. Um, we have a very, very nice month of February. It's good for theme parks too. If you want to come down to Orlando and go to the theme parks, because it's pretty comfortable yeah. usually, and it usually doesn't get up into the 90s or something unbearable like that. But February is the most recommended month, and especially people from the Midwest who, by that point, are so sick of winter, and the last thing they want to do is look outside at another gray day. So, yeah, I'd say February is a good time to visit. So, for Georgia, I like March. For me, I sweat. I just sweat too much, and March is is beautiful. And I, <laughs> what a great way to I love that. March, and like it's, for me, I sweat. Spring, yeah, spring is fantastic. I love October. I love November because it's like it's it's cold. Like jeans and a t shirt is what I'm looking for. I love February in Atlanta. I'll say Atlanta specifically, not not Georgia, because there's so many festivals that, to go to, like festival season here, like Oyster Fest. Um, any any excuse I can get to overpay for drink tokens and then go drink whatever beer in Piedmont Park and look at this. It's like about to be springtime, this beautiful, beautiful backdrop, especially at Piedmont Park. I, I am all sorts of game for that. Now, I will say I think March is is the best because... Like I said, it's it's spring and, and winter in Georgia's not long, but it's like it's fun knowing it's like, oh man, we're we get like one month where we can go outside and, and wear shorts and before I have to go change my shirt four times a day, which is nice. Um yeah. okay, so your next next question here uh is let's see here. If you were Hold on, sorry, Connor. I've now missed it. Um, it wasn't you. Just, oh, here we go. Most underrated and underrated city in the U.S. And, and I say this because so, wait, underrated and overrated yeah. city. Somebody brought okay. this up. I was at trivia on Tuesday, and the, <laughs> this is terrible. But the host, host made the joke, and he was like, "All right, say we did get bombed. What's the first city you would want to be gone?" Whoa. It was so much, but it was also kind of funny. Oh the dark. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone said Anchorage because nobody's ever been there. Just kidding, Jenny Bolton. Just kidding. What's the worst city and what's the what's the most overrated city and underrated city in the U.S.? I'm gonna say this. 
because I, I spent a week there and maybe I wasn't at the right time in my life to be there. And I've said it on this podcast You're before. You're stupid but like Charleston. No, in, in earmuff this alley. I'm not a fan of Portland. I'm just I'm just not not my type of scene. Yeah. Getting on the train and every single time you get on the train and somebody giving you a petition to sign a form to legalize marijuana it's and it's there. every single you can't just go to a sports bar in Portland. Yeah. Like that that doesn't exist. Everything has to be weird in some sort of way and it's a gothic bar. This place is like all bikers and tattoo people and I'm just like I just want to go to a sports bar and watch a game yeah. right now. That's, that's all I want to be able to do. And that, that to me, it wasn't my scene. And I understand a lot of people like it. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be for a lot of God, people. But for the masses, for the masses, I, I think it's a touch overrated. That's all I will say. When I we went when Allie's dad passed away this past June, which was awful, we went out there for like five or six days. And it was, it was I fell in love with the city when we were there. And Allie was like, okay, just to temper your expectations, do you remember last time you were here? And I was like, yeah, it was awful. And she was like, yeah, that's how it is 90% of the year. It's overcast and rainy and yeah, gross. weather. And like, it's just depressing. The five days I was there, it was in June. And again, I sweat. So it was like 60 degrees. It felt like fall in here. Like, And it was it was, it was was beautiful. That's not how it is most of the, most of the year. So I, yeah, I was there in March. Yeah. It was 40 and rainy the entire time. It's and I, I'm, a, I'm full on on board with the fact that you don't have to go to Portland if you want to go to Portland. You can go to Asheville. Asheville seems like the same exact full <laughs> blank. Uh, it, like, you know true. what I mean? Like in the same way, it's like people talk about like, I don't like Atlanta. It's too big, but they live in Charlotte. Like, man, you live in JV Atlanta, so shut up. Like, that's just, it's, I think that's, that's kind of similar. I, I could see that. Underrated. How about, I've banged the drum a lot for Indianapolis, a lot. Indianapolis, if you haven't been there in the last five years, there's a reason that they host big time events, that they host Super Bowls, that they host Final Fours. They're going to be hosting the College Football yeah. Playoff National Championship very soon. I think people, when they go to Indy for that, because Let's just be honest, an SEC team is going to be in that national championship. I bet a lot of SEC fans come away from that being like, whoa, Indianapolis is great. They have a lot of bars that are super accessible. Every major sports stadium downtown, you can walk to one, from one to another. Great, very comfortable downtown, not intimidating at all, tons of public parking. I, I love Chicago because I grew up there, but there are a lot of parts about Chicago that I hate, and I don't go to downtown that much because it's it's kind of intimidating, and I don't want to pay $70 to park for an entire day. And Indianapolis is just like, oh, you get the downtown feel. You got everything that you can kind of want. They've got you know running trails, all this different stuff. I, I love downtown Indianapolis, so I'll, I'll always bang the drum for Indy. Most overrated. Indianapolis is an absolute crap hole. No, I'm kidding. I, so how many times have you been to Indianapolis? Never, and I, I don't plan on it anytime soon. But I will say, uh, most overrated is New York and Miami, and it's not even close. New York is I, I've I've never liked New York, like just because it's too big and too much. I hate I hate when when so, what were the circumstances surrounding? New I've New been York several visit? times to New York, and I've been in the best situation possible that I am not allowed to talk about. I would think on here because of. Like I went to go see a girl there in college who paid for my entire trip, took me to – she lived on Wall Street, took me to a Red Sox-Yankees game in Yankee Stadium, paid for everything. It was one of the best birthdays I've ever had, and there was a lot of reasons involved. I had every reason to love New York. I had every reason to love New York. I hate New York because I hate the people in New York that constantly want to tell you how great New York is. It's like, you're miserable. You sound like a miserable human being telling me how great your city is. Like, oh, you, there's an energy here. You don't get it. You just you're not you're not from around. Like, no, and I don't want to be. Like, I don't care. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, like I, when, I have I have so many people that say this, and I think it's such a dumb lack of depth to to you actually being able to explain why you like the city. Is is, is I think a lot of people that live in New York want to live in New York because they want to feel important and they want to feel like they want to feel like they're bigger than they are. And and I think. 
like just that that whole thing like when you have the discussion it's like there's an energy here no it's loud it's loud there's too many people it, like it's this can't really relax there's a bazillion either. yeah there's a bazillion things going on and and that's I, I love living in the city and i know atlanta's not new york but like don't tell me it's because there's an energy here no it's because you're pretentious and you you want to feel more important than you are it's lauren actually yeah i there's there's a lot to be said yeah. for that. there there definitely is and it can rub a lot of people the wrong way for sure lauren spent a summer there interning at the New York Times, actually. And I wow. went and visited her for, for four days. Yeah, sick brag. Um, my wife is way smarter than I am. <laughs> um, she And so I visited her for four days. And I, I got the impression that I, it's a great place to visit, yeah. I think. And if you go at the right time of year and if you have the right agenda and not just go to stuff in Times Square, if you actually get into doing some different sort of things, not just touristy type things, it can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But would I want to live there? No way. No, no I, way. I, That'd be so overwhelming. In Miami, I think in the same way too, because Miami is one of the cities where it's like, oh, we're going to Miami, and it's like, man, I tell you what, unless you love paying forty dollars for parking or cocaine, there's no reason to go to Miami. It's just, it's too much. It's like, I like people that brag about going to nightclubs till eight a.m. Like, dude, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Like, I don't like. What do you like? <laughs> Sleep's great, yeah, man. Dude, Sleep is awesome. Like, you know what my favorite you. part about not being awake is the not being awake part. Like, just like it's <laughs> it's so crazy. People uh, people talk about Miami weird. Like, they, I always just assume they have a drug problem. Um, all right, we've got time for one more. Yeah, let's do okay, one we'll more. do one more. Last one. Uh, okay, this is good too. I think. What <laughs> this is from Marshall Perkins? He says, "What is the best prank you ever pulled on someone or had pulled on you?" Oh man! See, this is one of those where if it was in the dock and I actually yeah, had to you mean to start this, this would be yeah. You start. This is not a prank, but this is the worst thing I've ever done. I did this at the parking lot of the Tennessee Titans uh, stadium when I was hammer drunk in Nashville one time, and I fake proposed to my college girlfriend to get out of a fight. What? <laughs> I got down on a knee, fake proposed. Was like I don't even, I don't know what I said because I was that far gone, but I just remember pulling out all the stops and it was after this like Garth Brooks concert or something at Brookstone Arena and I just was I had no intention I had no ring I had I had like $300 in my bank account like I don't know what I was doing and I, I was like yeah we're gonna get married and then we did not yikes <laughs> wow I can't top that there is nothing I can possibly say to top that I, w- I was gonna go with something like Oh, one time when it was dark and one of my buddies was coming over, me and my other friend hid behind a bush on the route when mm. he was walking over to the house and, and we scared the Jesus out. No, we didn't fake propose. Um, but I think we almost forced a, a heart attack and that would have been really bad. But nothing like that. My Old goodness. Chris what, is not, what kind of not a good you person. With? Man. You have no idea. There's so, many, <laughs> oh there's so much to unwrap. All right, let's close out with it might mean too much. Um, in case you haven't seen, I'm sure LSU fans trying to get a ticket for the national championship have already seen this, but the get-in price for the title game, according to our friends over at Ticket IQ, $882. But here's the good news. After the Peach Bowl, that was actually $1,600. So the price has come down yeah. considerably. And also, the average secondary ticket market price right now $2,047, which is also down from the Peach Bowl when it was at $3,362. So if you want to go to the national championship, I guess you don't have to pay $54,000 no. like that person did that we Dumb. talked about last week. Um, but you're still going to have to pay a, a crap ton of money. But at least, hey, maybe you don't have a have to worry about staying in a hotel. Yes, yeah, cool. Nice. I don't know. Um, if you have not yet, join our Facebook group. I meant to say this a couple weeks ago, and I actually forgot. My aunt, who knows nothing about SEC football, absolutely nothing, 
She couldn't tell you Bama's starting quarterback this past year. She couldn't tell you who won the national championship once this past decade. She lives in the Midwest, has no interest whatsoever in SEC football. She is in the Facebook group, and she cannot get enough of it. Cannot oh, get enough of it. Loves all the back and forth drawing that goes the, on. No, 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 no. I have a billion ants. Okay. Trust me, it's not her. Um, no, my Aunt Jean, shout out to her. Um, she, she's like, I'm always scared to comment because I don't really know anything that's going on, but I that's love awesome. it. She's like, I find myself just clicking on, on all these different things. and I laugh out loud at all this stuff. So even if you are not a diehard SEC football fan, you should go make sure that you like the Saturday yeah. Night South podcast on Facebook. That is the ringing endorsement, the best one you can possibly get. If you have not, make sure that you subscribe. You should tell all your friends to subscribe. Make, make them also leave a five-star review because if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you've probably already yeah. given us a five-star review. If you haven't, definitely do so. Facebook Live before or after the National Championship. Oh. So, yeah, 7.30 on Monday. 7.30 on Monday. Will you go live while watching it if it comes down to a field goal? I tried to do that for the Auburn. No, I hate you so much. Sorry, that was... It took me a second to realize what you were talking about. I forgot I did that. That was really neat. Uh, follow us on all forms of social media at the SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara. You're going to have great stuff up on Instagram at Saturday Down South as well. Marler, Matt Luke, Mike Leach? What, what, what do we need to remember? I got to work on the Mike Leach. Y'all have a good one, guys. Good luck, Tigers. Talk to you guys later.